For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply at LifeMD.com. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications through LifeMD? LifeMD is now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. You just take your shot. It doesn't feel like you're on a diet. What I wasn't expecting it to do was to shut off the food noise. This was life-altering, and if I can do it, I feel like anybody can do it. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at TryLifeMD.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com. Hello and welcome to episode 10 of the Cow Corner podcast. We're here today uh, with a Bob Willis Trophy special. Um, there's many exciting IPL games going on. Um, the women are playing fantastically against the West Indies, but no, we're going to sit and talk about a draw for 45 minutes to an hour here. Um, as always, uh, I'm joined by Glenn and Zach. Glenn, I'll come to you first. Happy birthday, mate. Thank you very much, mate. No, no way I prefer to be spending it than a than a podcast. <laughs> Best way. Just taking time out of your uh, your big birthday to to chat with us. And Zach, our Northern correspondent, how are you, mate? Yeah, I'm good. I mean, I don't have anything better to do as we've gone back into lockdown over the weekend. But yeah, so I, but other than that, I'm very good. <laughs> and a uh, special guest for this episode, I'm dubbing him our Southern correspondent. Tim, how are you doing? Not too far from Taunton, so we're keeping the close ground things going here. Yeah, thank you very much. Thanks for inviting me on, everybody. I've been listening avidly on my way to day, day, weekly listening on the way to work. Eats up the miles to Yeovil from like Regis. <laughs> and um, yeah, I was hoping it'd be a triumphant debut after yesterday. I was really pinning my hopes on that. Slightly went astray, but never mind. We'll find out more. Great to have you on, Tim. I'm, I'm glad it's eating up your uh, commute. That's great to hear. Um, <laughs> so yeah, the Bob uh, the Bob Willis Trophy, excuse me, uh, the final. It's been, it's gone. It was five days. We, we predicted this might happen and uh, it was a draw, wasn't it? And um, just disclosure for all our listeners, Tim, Glenn and Zach, our Somerset fans, I will play the sort of arbiter of this and, you know, try and make, not make it a Somerset off. I'll, I'll have some things about Essex. But yeah, it was a draw over those five days. Um, a Lords final, which I loved. We'll, we'll come on to that and maybe some restructuring later in the podcast. We'll have a quick summary of the game and then I'll go to the boys and see what they had to say about it. Uh, Somerset batted first, put 301 on the board, which um, I think was a really good total, recovering from 94 for four and 139 for five. Uh, Eddie Byron with 117, uh, the linchpin of that innings and useful runs from Craig Overton, 66. And he had more runs 
uh, in the second innings as well. So 301 on the board for Somerset in the first innings looked competitive until Sir Alistair Cook came out to bat. Um, and from the 120 overs, of course, um, that's the maximum overs you can have. Essex made 337 for eight. Alistair Cook's 172. Um, a huge stay at the inning uh, at the crease. Um, basically made that uh, innings for Essex. No real support, interestingly. A 51 from Captain Tom Wesley and a couple of 20s here and there. Got Essex ahead of Somerset. And that looked really important at the time. With rain around, the first innings score, the highest first innings score, uh, would be the winner if the match was drawn. Uh, Somerset second innings, 272 for seven declared. Um, after 76 overs, um, 116 from opener Tom Lamanby, um, 45 from Craig Overton, the bottom of the order. Helped uh, Somerset uh, put a really good total up for Essex to try and chase down. Um, a fascinating day five was set up and it ended in a draw, as I mentioned at the top. Essex got themselves to 179 for six. Uh, 46 from Tendiscata and 35 from Lawrence kept them in the game. Um, they were never really going to chase it down. And as soon as Cook fell, they were kind of playing for the draw, knowing that that first innings was going to get them over the line. And it was the case. They shook hands after 80.3 overs. And that was it. Essex are the winners of the first ever Bob Willis trophy. Um, we've we've kind of, we hinted at this draw, boys, didn't we? Um, and it came. There's a bit of weather around. Thank God for the fifth day because we nearly got to a conclusion. Essex are the winners, the deserved winners, question mark. I don't know. I'll let you guys come on to that. Zach's rolled his eyes. You know, all this <laughs> funny. Um, Glenn, I'll come to you first watching it in Wyoming or following it in Wyoming at least as a Somerset fan how was that for you and, and what are your thoughts on the final oh um yeah it was deeply disappointing so Somerset of um because of this result it means that we finished second in the domestic first class competition in each of the last three years and four times in the last five and we are also one of the only of the three first class counties not to have won um in the modern era of this competition so it's wow. really disappointing and yeah it it's just it's just frustrating because sometimes it feels like, you know, we're always going to compi- complain that things can, you know, conspired against us. But in this case, you know, it was a pretty even game. I think I think we all agree, probably all four of us agree that it was Alistair Cook that won it. And if you're going to pick out one player, it was his innings that really, you know, dictated the match. I think the toss um, was a really important one to win or lose. I honestly think if it had been reversed and we had had we'd won the toss, we put them in. We would have had, you know, a first day of really difficult batting conditions. I think that really would have really suited our seeming attack, which is one of the one of the best in the um, in the country. Um, yeah. And it just it just so happened that once, um, you know, once Essex took that lead in the um, in the first innings, once they had that advantage, it was going to be really difficult to dislodge them from that. Just the way that the game planned out with some weather effect, you know, with some weather issues, um, with deteriorating light. So, yeah, no, you, you mentioned watching it from Wyoming. It was quite frustrating, actually, because I'd always get like the last hour or two of each day. And that kind of got gradually shorter and shorter <laughs> until the last day. So I managed to watch the end of the game because they actually played out the overs, which, again, not many of us were expecting, actually, when we're looking at the light. But you know what? It, it there were positives to take from it. I think we, we actually played really well. It was a very even game. I think it went down to a knife edge. And yeah, it went down to the to the technicality, which is if it's a draw, it's the winner of the, the highest score of the first innings. And it was really difficult to overcome that. It has real um, England winning the World Cup on boundary count energy. I don't know about, <laughs> about how you feel about that. Um, is 
is having the the best first innings in the final worthy of winning the entire tournament? I, I don't know. Um, Zachy, you've been looking to agree with this whole time I've been chatting. So come on, I want to hear your piece. Well, I think I think Tom, um, Tom Abel in his interview yesterday summed it up really well that no, it shouldn't it shouldn't decide the whole trophy. But I mean, this season we've got what we've got out of it. A really exciting tournament, like we spoke about last week, and a really fitting final. It was a really close game between two really competitive, really good sides. And of course, I'm disappointed. Of course, I, I don't think it should have been first innings total, but I wouldn't be saying that if someone got a higher <laughs> first innings total. I, before the before the game, thought that maybe it should go down to points on the board, points in the group stage, but that again was because Somerset had the higher points on the in the group stage. But also that would have meant that Somerset could have played for the draw for the whole five days. And this meant mm-hmm. it was more of a competitive game. Yeah, I, it felt like there was no there was no easy answer to it. Um, is there a way? My only thought, looking back, was there a way to obviously do it like a county championship game in terms of like points accumulated during the match in terms of batting and bowling points? Would that have been a possibility, or does that just get as a final? Is that just too many old men looking at scorecards wondering <laughs> what's going on? <laughs> I think I think the problem with that would have been that because it was a Lords final, which we haven't seen in the in a in the Red Bull tournament for a while, it would have kind of taken away from that being a one-off event yeah. um it happened i think when middlesex won it a few years ago that somerset who weren't playing in the game had the chance if batting and bowling bonus points went their way so i see what you mean but as a one-off event it would have kind of taken away from that yeah, yeah no, that was that. that was that was kind of it was middlesex and yorkshire were playing each other if they drew somerset could win the title i think yeah, that it was, was but it was obviously Middlesex and Yorkshire were never going to play out for a draw because that would mean neither of them were going to win it. So it was one of those. It was another year where someone could have won it, but didn't. Uh, <laughs> um, Tim, you're a long suffering Somerset fan. Um, how is your is your county cursed? Like the, the stat Glenn told me then I didn't know that Somerset have never won uh, a county championship in its modern iteration. What's that all about? What's going on down there? Well, I think it's just a case of it always being so close, but never, never, ever quite getting over the line. And I think they've had some really good teams over the years. Tens have been better one day over the years. It's only more recent years, actually, they've really been properly challenging because back in the 80s, when it was Garner, Richards, both of them, it was the one-day team that was really strong. It wasn't necessarily the county championship. Um, and before the Garner, Richards, both of them, for years, Somerset were like, you know, a bit like Glamorgan. They were just really, you know, bumbling along as a county uh, and it was the 80s that kind of propelled them and in lots of ways they've kind of built on it and, uh, and of course it's really disappointing as a supporter to see your team come so close those times but it's a team of really good young homegrown players which even with Josh Butler, Don Bess um, and others about to probably go as well potentially but they've replaced them and Jimmy Overson going to Surrey but they've actually replaced them with more young homegrown players I guess the frustration is a bit like Brentford in the football where they kind of build these great teams and they sell the best players and they have to start again. It's just a bit of a worry sometimes that they get to the point where they've got a really strong county team and then a couple of the best players move on because they can't accommodate them all. But I'm, I'm sort of taking the positives that it was, a, you know, the the Bobbillis trophy actually been really exciting cricket when it didn't necessarily going to have any. I think as it turned out, the group stages are more exciting than the final in a way because what... What happened with the 
the first innings bit kind of totally tilted the match and it was meant to be there in case of rain and there was you know, really limited opportunities to play. But I don't think it was unintended consequences because it ended up dictating the pattern of the match, basically, because once Sussex thought, sorry, Essex thought they could get to that total, they kind of hung in and got there. And once they got it, they kind of defended it for the rest of the match, really, and made it really hard for Somerset. And you ended up in the game. Somerset scored more runs overall in the match. Essex were battling to stay in the match on the final day, made it, and Essex are the champions. <laughs> so you've got to try and, you know, if it's some, um, I was thinking, if it's that like Monty Panesar in um, Cardiff hanging on against the Australians, mm. that's an exciting, <laughs> that's an exciting hanging on. When it's Ron Tendershata yeah. <laughs> and Winter, who scored centuries, first class centuries, and a very, very capable batsman tapping it along, you think the format's not quite right here. It was uh, it was a very negative um, holding on. I think that's a really interesting point you made. Yeah. And it was a shame that as soon as Essex got past that 301, uh, didn't feel like the game, but Somerset would have had to do a lot on a non-turning yeah. surface to um, to take those 10 wickets. Yeah, and I think, I think you know, and then the plus point thinking about it, and although they've gone really close to the county championship, it is frustrating. Me and Glenn saw them win the last ever uh, 50 over final last year, which was great. And mm-hmm. back in 2001, I saw them beat Leicestershire. And if you ever think you're having a bad day ever at work in anything you do, James Bolswell for Leicestershire, in the second over that he bowled, he was a spinner, he bowled eight wides. Um, and he could not land the ball. The poor bloke could not land the ball on the oh. pitch. Um, he played one more 40-over game and then retired from cricket at the end of the season. He became a, became a teacher. Wow. <laughs> obviously, that's what you do. <laughs> you kind of decide. Um, it's on. It's on YouTube if you want to torture the poor guy some more. <laughs> and, and another absolute plus side I've decided to give Somerset the best possible chance. Alistair Cook has hinted he might retire in a year. Mm. Mm. Ooh, so he's definitely he's definitely coming on for next year. I saw that. Yeah, yeah, um, he's, yeah. You made a really interesting point about Somerset being that county that sort of um, sell on players, if you will. The, the sort of footballing analogy there is great, but is it not a testament to the team that they're still hanging in there? Uh, well, not hanging in there, but still dominating Red Bull cricket as much as they are. Um, I don't know much about his team, boys. Who who is the sort of up and coming stars in that team? Obviously, Lamon being Byron with a bat. Um, look great and Overton's got an England cap or two who's looking good in that team uh so well I mean first of all Tom Lamanby is amazing and he also like I said last week not an opener never opened he's now opened he thinks he's opened more in first class cricket than he has at club cricket now (laughs) one of the things he said yeah which I think is quite funny he's also the first player to get three centuries in his first six first class games since uh uh, Bumble's son did in 1989, which is uh, uh, first English player. Sorry, so I thought that was a really good stat. <laughs> yeah, he's an amazing talent. And last year, because last year he played a bit of T20 game, a few T20 games, but was batting at six or seven and and bowling, but wasn't. He didn't really seem like a. He's not. Mm, I mean, I say that he didn't seem like a big hitter then. Has proved me wrong on that this year. But he's been fantastic, and I'm really, I'm really excited. Like Tim is about this team because we've got. Lamanby, 20 years old. Ben Green, he also happy birthday, Ben Green, 23. Uh, Eddie Byram, 23. Tom Abel, who's been Somerset captain for I think four years now, is only 26. Overton, 26. 
so it's an amazing team and surely in the future if we add in a few of the uh, the other younger players such as Lewis Goldsworthy my uh, tip for the future uh, then we've got a really exciting side yeah it's definitely a period of it always feels a bit like transition but at the same time we're building a really good foundation while doing that so I don't feel like the loss of Jamie Overton means that we're you know not going to be able to compete as well next season because obviously he wasn't playing enough but at the same time it is a little bit disappointing when players of that caliber do move on. Um, you know, we've talked before briefly about, you know, the keys word of Butler conundrum. And that's something me and Tim um, listeners might not know that he's my dad. I don't think we mentioned that so far. So we've seen Somerset a lot together. Hence the link there. Um, but yeah, we were chatting about that a couple of days ago. And we, it always feels like, you know, Leach and Best, we seem to have a lot of good players right at the same time. And I just really hope we do make the right decisions with who we're keeping. Um but yeah, it's it, there's a lot of positives. We just want to get over the line next season. Um, that's obviously that's the bottom line for us, and we just keep missing it. Is is that the reason um, players are moving on? Is your Keysworth to Butler best leech situation? Is that they've got two good ones at the same time, and they pick one and the other moves on, or the ones that are moving on? I'd argue say the slightly better players at the time looking to go to a bigger county. I'd say it's, it's 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 sort of circumstances as much as anything. It's it's because um, Jamie Overton, Somerset want him to stay, but what they don't they don't feel they can guarantee him every match in all formats, um, which I think Surrey have basically done. Although Surrey appears to be playing him as a is a pinch hitter rather than the bowler mm. at the moment, um, which is slightly strange. Don Bestleach is the classic one spinner playing. And they're going to keep Leach. He's still quite young. We've had the session with Glenn a couple of days ago. Leach isn't that old. He looks old. He's not actually that old. So there's Leach are going to be there for the next few years. And Best wants to play more regularly. Uh, so I think it's not necessarily the better players going. It's kind of the Somerset management are making that judgment call of what's going to be best for the team as a whole, rather than necessarily the innate. I mean, Jamie Overton might potentially go on and be a great England bowler. Might. whereas Lewis Gregory is not going to be a you know a test bowler, but probably is going to be more effective for Somerset in the next say three or four years. So it's really tough, um, but I think they're getting it about right because they can't you know, and you can't have you know you can keep sort of about fourteen or fifteen players happy. This especially hard if you're only going to play five first class games. <laughs> um, but you have somebody like Josh Davy who's not going to play tonight. We played for Scotland, but he's not going to play major international cricket. But it's been incredibly effective. It's his best season ever for Somerset. And it's been a bit of a revelation, really. He's always been pretty consistent, but he was actually lethal this season. Really hard to play with a new ball. Um, and you, if you looked at, you know, international cricket, you'd say, well, Jamie Overton straight away because he's fast. You know, he's big, he's strong. He's also a really decent bat, pretty good fielder. But actually, just he's probably been more effective in terms of runs, giving away wickets taken than Jamie Overton would have been this season. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And if you look at last season, Jamie Overton had to go out on loan to make to get yeah. game time because he just wasn't playing for Somerset. Because if you think about our bowling attack, for me, he's not in our best four with with Gregory back in the side. And Gregory's Gregory's been the weak. I mean, apart from this game, Gregory's been the weak link this year. I think one of the most the most disappointing one for me is um, that Nate Gilchrist, the young um, fast bowler, left for Kent earlier this year because he played he played in the he did a warm up friendly against. Gloucestershire and he bowled really well in that and then he didn't play in the first game and now he's gone to Kent because apparently he was very highly rated and, and 19 years old 
really fast. It looked really good in that warm-up game. So that's the that's actually the one I'm most disappointed about because, like you said, Leach isn't that old. We've got and we've got Goldsworthy coming through who's 19 who can take over from Leach. So we don't necessarily need best. And also, if a player is playing for England all the time, when are we going to actually get to see them play for Somerset? Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's it's this conundrum. It's kind of almost keeping the players. It's, it's this classic county conundrum whereby you try and keep the players that are on the fringes of England, but they're not playing for England, so they're still playing for you. The Lions tours are okay, I think, because they kind of fall more off season, so you can incorporate that. So basically, you want the best Lions players, but the people who aren't going to be carrying drinks for England, mm. because there's no point. So, for example, a perfect example um, is Jack Leach. You know, he obviously didn't bowl bowl for England we could have used him in this tournament I know that obviously we got to the final without him but his wicket his first wicket in this game was his first in a first class game since last November mm-hmm. so that's ridiculous he's had a summer without cricket so this is when players really do fall through the cracks of the system and yes of course he got to work on his game for England he's probably going to come back a better player they were saying over comms that it's not often with this new bubble situation whereby a player could, you know, work one-on-one with a spin coach for like two months. Like that's great for his game, but it's not really good for him personally. You know, he wants to play cricket and Somerset. So it's a really tough one. I feel Somerset really fall into that gray area sometimes with players in between our first team, our second team and England. (laughs) And then the players get frustrated because for Don Best, um, you know, as we've all mentioned before, England's number one spinner, running the drinks for the for the county final is ridiculous <laughs> onto itself so it is a really difficult one and, and i don't really know any perfect answers but i, I think zach's spot on when we do have depth and spin you know Le- leach and goldsworthy are the future of the club and the present at the same time and yeah I, it probably is best best for players like don best to move on and play cricket but you know players like jamie overton like i wish they were still here because i think they can really do a job for us Great points all round on that. That was really interesting. Can I quickly chat about Craig Overton um, with you seasoned Somerset followers? Played four test matches with an average of 44 with the ball, nine wickets. And then his first class career, um, he averages 24 with the ball, uh, taking 320 wickets. Is you know Great stats. Whenever I see him in England shirt, and that's to be fair the only time I've seen him bowl, he really flatters to deceive and I just think, what is he doing in the team? He was picked ahead of Wokes in an Ashes game last year. That obviously wound me up, as it should, here on the Chris Wokes podcast. But And with the bat, I think he scored 100 runs in this match. Um, what is he? Is that a bad question? What, what, where, where does he sit career-wise now? I think it's important to note that he there was, he was one of, I think, three players that got the England development contracts over the winter that mean that the ECB kind of control when he can and can't play. So we didn't play a couple of blast games during the oh. tournament because he had to be rested. It's him and Ollie Stone and I think maybe Ollie Robinson, but I'm not sure mm-hmm. on that one. They got these development contracts and the ECB are going to look at them. So I think that meant they've got extra coaching over the winter. And Craig Overton, I mean, this summer he looks he looks better than ever. Like mm-hmm. yep. he's 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 a yard faster and just hasn't and his accuracy is better, which is something amazing. Because before, like you say, I feel like he's he. I thought he was always going to be one of those bowlers who was almost too good for county championship, but wasn't good enough for England. But England keep kind of going back to because he has pace. Because last season I feel like Gregory was better than him with the ball. But because Overton is uh, is an out and out fast bowler, England think, oh well, Gregory, you know, he's he's medium fast, he's a bit slower. That's not what we need, you know. We've got enough of that. But they so they went for Overton. But I think now Overton surely deserves 
I mean, maybe even a call up for the for the winter. Yeah, and I think I think he was told, wasn't he, by the selectors when he wasn't picked for sort of uh, tests, and they sort of said, well, said, "What do I need to do?" And they said, "You need to you need to be a little bit faster, basically." And he's gone away and works on that, um, and he's gone from being a really solid bowler. In a way, I think really his test place probably came too early. I don't think he was quite ready, um, but he's had an absolutely outstanding season. He's just terrorised every, I mean, in many five matches, but he has genuinely in every match bowled exceptionally well. And now he's probably at a point where he does deserve a chance. I'm sure when Chris Rokes actually started his England career, he had a bit of a, you know, he's kind of tossed in and didn't really take to it first time. I think it was a similar kind of thing where he was told to go back, be a little bit quicker. Um, although he's probably in a way for Chris Wokes, it's not so much the pace, it's the skills now, as mm. much as anything. Um, be that metronomic McGrath like accuracy, which is really hard to, you know, to put batters to deal with, especially in England. Uh, but I think, yeah, I think Craig Everton's, you know, got a decent chance in the winter. Um, it does depend a bit what the England management, how they see it, I guess, going, because they'll be looking to the Ashes as the one they'll be looking to. Yeah, I totally agree with that. And it's it's worth mentioning just two things on this game. Number one, I didn't see enough of it live to judge like the quality of his bowling, but you know, he only cut, he only got a couple of wickets. Um so if you're just looking at figures, obviously Gregory was far superior with six in that first inning. So, you know, I perhaps it wasn't the best showcase of his bowling ability, but that said, his batting was excellent. He got 66 in the first innings, and he, he got what could have been a match-changing, a quick 45 mm. in the second. So he really, I think, made a big case um, for his name as more, you know, getting towards more of an all-rounder as opposed to a, a bowler that bats a tiny bit. He really batted very well, very aggressive. Jamie Overton himself has been batting brilliantly for um, for Surrey in the T20 Blast. So it's very interesting to see the two of them. I feel like their batting is kind of growing at the same time, which is kind of interesting to see. Um, but it was incredible, like, with the time difference. If if ever um, Somerset were bowling first day of a, of a county championship game, I would wake up and expect to see a five for, for Overton. The way he was bowling this summer, he would just get a sack of wickets every single game. So I totally agree with both of you. I think he came in too early to England. He's worked on his game. He's quicker. You know, he's more consistent. Um, and although he didn't get a real, you know, handful of wickets this match, he was by far one of the best bowlers, I think, of this tournament this summer. He was just exceptional. I think that's a really interesting point that he was chucked in a bit early to the England team. Hadn't thought about that. And the Wokes comparison is a very good one as well. Um, his batting improvement, I guess, could be his route into the England team come winter, um, summer. If he's not, uh, you know, like a, a nine, it could be more than an eight even. That makes uh, a ball like that on the fringe ever so slightly more attractive, I think, the way England pick teams at the minute. So that could be really interesting. Um, let's come on to Essex for a bit. Obviously, the champions, um, the inaugural winners of the Bob Willis Trophy, um, a very successful tournament, which we'll come on to after this, the sort of whole structure of it. Um, I'd like to firstly talk about um, Sam Cook, uh, Little Chef, as he's fondly known. Uh, <laughs> I think it's a fantastic uh, nickname. Obviously, I think you know, a few people tweet in, Cook has Essex in control, not that Cook in brackets, I think was a headline I saw. Um a fantastic Bob Willis trophy, uh, 17 wickets at 18.7, uh, just from the five matches. Um, you know, a great prospect and kind of another, alongside Jamie Porter, I think a great asset for, 
for Essex, who are pretty pretty dominant in this form of the game. And then there is Sir Alistair, big big chef, I guess, um, <laughs> who pretty much took the game away from Somerset. Uh, 172 was just a knife in the back really wasn't it is he too good for this why isn't he in the test team am I am I thinking or is he just happy to be racking up the runs for for, for Essex in this level I completely agree I think if just I mean I think if you're going back a couple of years if you're scoring a century in your last test for England it shouldn't be your last test for England <laughs> I mean he's I mean, he looks a bit too good, doesn't he? I mean, there was a few tweets on, uh, it was day three by the time they were batting, that there, there were a few doubtful Somerset fans about whether whether Somerset's bowling is actually that good or whether we just played Glamorgan, Gloucestershire, <laughs> Northants and hadn't actually played a decent batting lineup. But they came back well, I thought. And yeah, Sir, Sir Alistair Cook should be playing for England. I think just a couple of quick things to say. First of all, correct me if I'm wrong here, um, Tim, but I think we threw him a jelly baby on the boundary at Lords, and I'm pretty sure he he ate it with a smile. And Kevin Peterson, Kevin Peterson didn't. Kevin Peterson refused our offer of a jelly baby. So you can see where the, you know, how we judge the quality players in the Houlihan household. Um, but. I think it's fair to say, you know, he's a cut above. Um, his 172 was dominating. It's quite clear. I think I saw a, I saw maybe it was a tweet that, you know, the passion was there for him. He was playing for his only county. And I don't know if all, all of us caught his dismissal in the second innings. Yeah. But he, he almost refused to go. I, yeah. There's a good chance he might not have been out. It might have been a dodgy decision, I think. A very um, good chance. Very. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And it's not often you see, uh, you know, someone he's the fifth highest run scorer of all times in tests. So he's an absolute extraordinary batsman. It's not often you see him standing there arguing with the umpire <laughs> in a county game <laughs> unless he cared. You know, the passion's still there and his elegance. It's really unmatched. We talked about Ian Bell obviously retiring a couple of um, an episode or two ago. And if and when Cook does retire, if it is in two years, I really hope you know it will probably be more higher profile because obviously he's more well known. But I hope there's the same you know admiration because he is he's been a pivotal member of England and I just the fact comes down to playing for Essex, giving it that 110 percent. He gave it everything as much as the younger players did, which I love. So the passion's there and I you know I really admire him as a player. Yeah, and I think um, in interviews he's done a few interviews over the year this year. Basically, what he's saying is that he knows ability-wise, he thinks, yes, he could play for England, but he sort of he got to the point where he didn't need the intensity mm-hmm. and the scrutiny and potentially the criticism. And I think he just took the opportunity to finish on the high. Obviously, he was going to get a century, but he, he wanted to finish in, in a good place. And he said about playing for Essex, he said he, he, fin- he was ready to finish England, but he wasn't ready to finish playing. And he didn't just want to have a full stop. Whereas Michael Vaughan said when he stopped playing test cricket, he just had no interest or motivation to play county cricket after that. That was it, really. When he was not going to play for England, he didn't want to play. But Cook said, no, he didn't just want to have that complete abrupt full stop. He actually was keen to play for Essex. And he said he's just playing with his mates, his people he's known since his childhood, lots of them. Um, I read that he played with Ravi Bhopal from the age of about eight and then Ravi's moved on. But it's like that kind of thing and he, he just said he just a couple of years that's what he felt he wanted to do so I think he's looked for a transition from that kind of flat out England bubble to a more kind of just enjoy your cricket there's no because realistically he's playing county championship for Essex they'll get like you know a couple of thousand maybe a chance if you have to have spectators 
but it's not the intensity and scrutiny of international cricket. It's the same as Marcus Treskothic, who equally could have carried on playing international cricket, but for you know mental health issues, the anxiety and everything else kind of just made it impossible. Um, and he couldn't tour, so you know he couldn't just play home international matches. And he just wanted to carry on playing. He just enjoyed playing. I mean, I think probably Treskothic even more so than Cook of just loving playing cricket and every... And he kept going for years and years and years, obviously. Um, and Ian Bell the same. I mean, you know, after the... He achieved a lot, you know, when the Ashes is a young player. Who's, but Ian Bell was kind of like a... Not lucky, but he was certainly a pick for the 2005 that was the one that was like, oh, should he pick Graham Thorpe? who had been an outstanding player for England for the previous 10 years. And Bell kind of took Thorpe's place. And there was a lot of debate about that at the time. He didn't actually do that well in 2005, but he obviously, that was it, got him going. And he went into a fantastic career. But he's played a number of seasons since, you know, basically retiring from the England cricket team. It's quite interesting. And I was thinking about Essex, actually thinking that another positive thing from a Somerset point of view is that the Essex players that really performed in that final, aside from Sam Cook, Wheater, Tendershata, Alistair Cook, Simon Harmer, these are not players that are going to be around for that much longer. Maybe Harmer was a spinner. Um, I don't know how old Jamie Porter is, but I feel like he's been around a while. I think, you know, he, he's been around a while. He's that sort of solid one. But I did think, you know, that Essex had quite, an, in a way, an ageing team and they almost got away with it a bit. They were kind of in the situation that they were in. Um, so I think, yeah, with Cook, I think it's great. That he's kind of, I don't think he wants to play for England. I think he's got the ability and could he just doesn't want to do it at the moment anymore. I agree. I think it's it might be, you know, an episode <laughs> for an actual, maybe a special standalone podcast. But I think, you know, talking about the pressure at the elite England level and the effect it has on players' mental health, I think we, re- we really could talk about that at length because you're seeing a lot of players burn out almost too early. And it's quite clear that I think I was going to mention to Scothic, that's a perfect example of a player who's actually finishing his England career way before he should have we're not maybe we're talking two or three years for cook but you know just gothic as you said he, he played excellent cricket you know for somerset for at least a decade you know i think around a decade after he um stepped back from england duties and it's not these aren't one-offs you think about jonathan trot you think about moeen ali you know these are players that have been in 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 and around the england setup in the last couple of years and there seems to be a theme whether it's, you know, pressure, yeah, there's going to be way less fans at Somerset, the county ground, you know, on a Tuesday afternoon than there would be at Lords. But I think maybe the ECB needs to look at this further because we're seeing players burn out for, for very similar, whether it's depression, anxiety, stress. These, these, yeah, these are really affecting players. And it's just strange seeing Cook play this innings, 172, gorgeous, you know, as good as innings as you'll ever see. He should be doing that in England shirt. And it's a real shame that I feel like these opportunities are kind of taken away um, from players too early so might be a topic for, for a future pod maybe I think so too but I think we should normalize that if you will I think what's wrong with going and playing back for your county for three or four years and putting in some performances like yeah. you've served England um, you know probably you haven't been dropped or maybe you've been dropped because you're a bit older and you know go and enjoy your cricket a little bit I think these players are remembered more fondly for it as well because they don't go out on a you know, a bit of a, a naff innings. It sounded like Zach wanted Cook to go out on on two golden ducks in that last <laughs> just just to confirm he he sort of lost it. Um, but yeah, I think that, that could be a great topic for for one day. Just before we come on to the um, sort of structure of the 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 Bobbleys Trophy this year, Zach, you retweeted this um, just before the uh, uh, the competitions uh, the final started, and it was the the bingo card of the uh, Sky commentary. This really cracked me up. So. 
Let me go through a few that we A might have mentioned already in this podcast and ones I definitely heard on commentary during the game. Um, the underrated Josh Davey, I think we've had that. Who he is. <laughs> Somerset finished second a lot, we've had that. Uh, Cider are bad, we haven't had that yet, but I like that. <laughs> I, it, was, it was definitely mentioned during the commentary. <laughs> Plenty <laughs> of times. The turning pitches at Taunton. Um, well, Harmer, 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 and Marcus Ruscoffic we've just had. So I think we've got house there, lads. Well done. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the commentary, for me, I, I don't know how you felt. I mean, you might not have caught that much of it, but the commentary really disappointed me. They seemed yeah. to really not know that much about Somerset. <laughs> there was one point where they were, it was at the end of Essex's second innings. It was at the end, sorry, the end of Essex's first innings, and they were talking about how Lamon being green they they don't hit they they don't hit it very much they're quite um conservative openers they're not dashers so don't, they don't know how they'll uh they don't know how they'll fare having to get having to get runs quickly and obviously then Lamanby hit a center of 131 balls yeah it was it was quite clear that Niall O'Brien hasn't watched that many blast games this year cuz Lamanby's been coming in at 6 and striking at over 200 so it was just a bit disappointing for me cuz the commentators usually on the Bobolist trophy games they are specific commentators for like, the BBC Somerset team. They're fantastic and they're some of the most knowledgeable people about Somerset that you'll ever meet. So it was a bit of a contrast to that. Yeah, the, the BBC had it as a live stream as well with the uh, Radio 5 Live commentary synced. And that was it was better. It was more kind of rounded and a bit more professional. But unfortunately, the stream didn't wasn't as strong. So <laughs> I ended up trying to watch the Sky stream and listen to the BBC commentary and it wasn't in sync. <laughs> So, that, so I had to just give up. What did you guys to reckon to the the sort of the camera work for it? I thought it was quite well covered for what it was. Should have been on TV, but they've got a lot of cricket going on in the minute, so we could, we'll we'll leave that to one side. But it was was it windy one day when the cameras was a bit shaky when I watched a bit <laughs> of it. Um, you know, but I did see a tweet that said that there were over a million unique um, yeah. people who sort of tuned into it, and that didn't include people abroad, and that didn't include the ECB website. So pretty well covered and well watched, I guess. Yeah. Um. So Gary Naylor, he did his he did his six takeaways from the final for the Guardian, all of which I really enjoyed. And ball six, his sixth takeaway was, "Sky's the limit if streams are funded adequately." He makes a really compelling case for actually funding the professional streaming of one county championship match per um you know per mm. game week, mm. which is really cool. Um, I think that'd be great. Stream it on you know Sky has a YouTube function now. Put it on there for free. Get young people watching it. Even you know put it on Sky's actual TV channel if they can. That would be amazing. Um, he described, he, he compared um, this game to Sky's full operation in terms of camera work, etc. That's a 10 out of 10. He said this match was a 6, which I think is fair enough. Like, I watched, it was the Sky Cricket YouTube stream I watched. Mate, Zach's kind of grimacing, maybe a 5. It wasn't, <laughs> I, I didn't, like, love sitting down and watching it. Um, the replay function was a little bit, um, a little bit basic. That kind of felt like something, you know, out of you know, more out of the 80s kind of coverage of cricket. It didn't feel very 2020, but it worked. The commentary, there was issues with the sound, the wind. I think you've, you've all picked up on stuff like that. If it was just that touch more professional, um, I think it would have made a big difference. But the fact it existed and was pretty decent is a good thing. I don't want to complain about it too much, but I love the case for one fully streamed, televised, supported match per, per, per fixture list. That's a great idea. Yeah, I really like that idea. One thing I will say is that 
for me, the reason I'm I'm not happy with it is because it was worse than than Somerset's own one for the Bob Willis yeah. Trophy games. Mm, yeah, the I fact agree. that it was worse than that when it was basically the same thing as that, but they still it was managed to be worse because. I mean, like a lot of them, it was it was out of sync quite a lot. You heard you heard the ball hit the bat or not before the ball before the ball got there, kind of thing. So that was a bit disappointing. But I completely agree. That's a fantastic idea. I'd love to see that happen. I mean, I like all these ideas coming out. The goals show for the for the blast. Yes. And one game a week. It'd be fantastic. <laughs> If only we had loads of money we were going to spend on another tournament that hasn't <laughs> got off the ground. Well, I think I think it just about sums up the ECB, that the inability to kind of sell their own product mm. inadvertently gave it a much wider audience and a much wider reach. And if you, I was on YouTube, you're flicking down the comments, they were like, it was like... I wasn't expecting it was like literally flying down the screen at points. There were so many people watching it and commenting that it was like a ticker tape going down the side because there were that many people watching it. And actually, funnily enough, because the Bob Willis trophy matches have been streamed, um, people have got into the habit of viewing five day, four day cricket in that way. So the people who are interested, people are trying to track it down and figure it out. And I think at the start of the Bob Willis, there were lots of people who didn't realise you could basically watch any match, one or two counties, Yorkshire put it behind a paywall, but most, like Gloucestershire had to register, but it was still free. And Somerset, generally, if they were playing, were able to kind of get a link to the other teams. If um, I could watch Northampton, they just went straight on the Somerset site. Um, But you could go onto the BBC iPlayer, you could go on the Somerset site, you could go on the Sky Sports YouTube channel. It must have been the most multi-platform cricket match ever. Definitely. And how much how much money did it really need putting into it extra to make to make it that seven or eight out of ten that you said, Glenn, that if ten is a full Sky Sports game, how much money did the ECB really have to put in it? I don't imagine that much to put an extra camera or a, a tripod down, maybe so the thing was still. Yeah, and that's that's the point. Um, that's the point that um, uh, Gary Gary Naylor made in this piece. He said, um, but with feature films being shot on iPhones and GoPro cameras, surely the visuals should be stronger. Yeah. If there's any professional funding, it should look better than it did. And the replays. My favourite part was, I think it was the the replay button covering the score or something <laughs> just as basic as that that yeah. would take five seconds for a producer just to tap someone on the shoulder and say move that around it'll look better so there were sloppy parts to it but i think you're spot on it can't cost that much money the the, the biggest you know funding must be um in terms of what it would cost is just getting the cameras there and getting people paid to you know staff them that's half the work they've done that the rest is just a bit you know glossing it up a little bit mm-hmm. yeah i think that's a really good point going back to what tim said i think one of the things they've done is that um this year they changed the rights so it was before they were allowed to have streams, but they weren't allowed to list them on YouTube. So it was much harder to find. So like Ooh. last season, if I wanted to find the Somerset game, a lot of, some of the away games you couldn't find at all. If you wanted to find a Somerset game, you had to go onto the Somerset website. And then if you found the YouTube link, it would be down. They had to make it unlisted. I think the new TV deals meant that they're allowed to have it. And also they weren't allowed to have more than two cameras before, which for a, for a four-day game is fine. But for a T20 game, you, you have no idea whether it's gone for six or been caught. So, is is this is this new thing with more easy access to YouTube and on more channels because fans aren't allowed? When we get fans back in, will, will it revert to the old way, or is this is this for, for good now? As far as I know, it's here to stay. It's it was a new it was part of the new TV deal at the beginning of this year. 
and I think it's, it's it might have been accelerated. I think the money gone into it's been accelerated this year because it would. I think it would have been a case of certain counties would have done it. Somerset would have done it with Babra Azam coming again, mm-hmm. but um, other counties wouldn't. Other counties might not have bothered. But I think more counties are bothered because of the fact that no one's there. Yeah, I, I think I think that um, Sky, without wishing to be too cynical, didn't want it to look too good. Because then why would you go and pay your Sky subscription for their amazing cricket coverage when they, they've shown they can provide a perfectly decent stream for free? Because the Somerset one, in-house one, was 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 um, better, as we've said, better produced, better look. And it's one guy doing it, Ben Warren. He's <laughs> doing the whole thing. Um, and I'm sure there was talk before it of whether that Somerset would actually do kind of like the coverage themselves. But I've got a feeling, I don't know this, but I've got a feeling Sky like that, we're going to do it. And I have a feeling that they didn't necessarily want this to look like a premium product. I think that's a really good point. I I, yeah, completely. <laughs> bit, bit, of, bit of conspiracy, but I think that's totally spot on. And I think Sky have always had the final on, or at least, because well, it hasn't been a Lords final, at least had the most important game on this time of the year. With the clash of the IPL and the women's T20s, obviously they couldn't, but I think that's a really interesting point. Um, let's come on to the sort of format of the Bob Willis Trophy. Tim, you mentioned it at the top, that how entertaining have these games been? Some of the group games have been fantastic. Um, you've, you've had a guaranteed uh, El Classic host. Um, you've had a guaranteed <laughs> London derby and a guaranteed Roses game with, with the way the leagues have fall, uh, fallen. I love the Lords final for this. I think that gives it a great sort of final end of the season centrepiece event. I know we've got the blast and all that and the hundreds come next year, but I think that gives the, the Red Bull format uh, a great end of season sort of send off. Um, what do you guys think um, about the sort of potential restructuring of the county championship in the way that the Bob Willis trophy has been? So three regional groups, um, but that was this year. And then the idea is they might split it to three, but have it seeded. Um, some people are for it. Um, Tom Wesley wasn't against the idea when he was interviewed. Tom Abel, Somerset, was more keen on the two uh, division system. What are your guys' thoughts? Did you like this? Do you want to see it go further? I think I think it did the job this season, personally, and especially in the format it was with just playing the five matches. I think it was a real bonus in the situation in which we find ourselves. I think part of the problem is, is trying to look into next summer and trying to work out where on earth you know, the, the world will be, let alone cricket, and trying to figure out specifically for cricket, will spectators be able to come back in in any numbers? Will that be possible? You know, is it is it viable to run a two-division county championship with playing 14, 16 games, potentially? At the moment, it just seems a little unlikely, doesn't it, really? Even though, you know, I personally, I'd prefer if it was a straightforward two divisions. So it looks like the conference is here to stay, um, and it's just talking about playing with the format. I guess, personally, if it was a conference and you played home and away, that's 10 matches. I can't see they've been realistically been able to get more than 10 first-class matches in, really, next season, just financially as much as anything else. Yeah, I think I think the finances and the timing of it's really important because a lot of teams don't, I mean, a lot of the smaller counties don't really want to play first-class cricket. They don't want to play 14 games. Fitting it in when we've got an extra format to fit in as well next summer, it's going to be very difficult. And I think, yeah, the 10 games is, is just easier to fit in, 10 games. Especially if we... I mean, I think the options are, the options 
that I think are the best are either the seeding, but that does mean the third division could be a bit a bit dead. <laughs> but also the <laughs> the other option could be that they do the same format as this year, but do a semi final and a final. I think to make it a bit more a bit more open. But I don't know. I think that for me that those are the best two ways. But I think the semi final and final format would have to be kind of if there is certain restrictions maybe still around and it just makes it easy because uh you know uh gloucestershire aren't having to travel to durham or we're not having to travel all the way to essex but yeah i, th- I think there's some really good points there um george the bell he, he's been doing really good coverage of this um of this game throughout and his he kind of weighed up some of these questions in his piece that i think he released today um, you know, is it fair um, for a side that's proved itself the best over the course of a season to risk that championship on one game? Like, say you've played, you know, 10 to say you play maybe 14 games and you're top of the table. You're going to want the t- you're going to want the, um, the trophy, right? You could have a massive points um, gap over you and the second team. But at the same time, Dan, you mentioned this, um, the word centerpiece. I think this is a really good focal point for the four. Bring it into a five day format. I like that. Um I don't think anyone here is going to like this. This is my bet. But um, DeBell said one potential solution would be to award the championship title to the side which finishes at the top of the league and then contest this Lord's final as a standalone event between two sides. I'm seeing a lot of shaking. I don't like it. I just wanted to throw it out here. Is it like a Super Cup, but the second (laughs) team still won nothing? (laughs) It's just just a thought. I kind of... The only reason I kind of like that is because... I want. I don't really like. I, I I like the idea of a centerpiece final, and I understand the implications of that. But I feel like if Somerset were top as they were this year, it just gives them another chance to bottle it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Something else to come second in. Yeah. We'd we'd exactly. be the only team to come first and then lose the final, then they change <laughs> the format again. <laughs> um, I think there's some great points, and I think the sort of um the hard line everyone's got in cricket is that promotion and relegation has to be there and we have to have the top teams playing each other to help our development. I read an interesting piece that said our win percentage as a test side has gone up since the um, introduction of relegation and promotion. That also was tied in with central contracts, so bear that in mind. But regardless of how they do it, that is the sort of hard line. But yeah, I think like Tim said, it was great to have some cricket this year regardless and it's worked for this year. I don't think it can work you know, in a normal year, whenever that might be, I, I doubt we'll have a normal year next year, quote unquote. So we'll see how they tinker with it. Hopefully we do, obviously. Um, but yeah, it was it was a great tournament. And, you know, I love chatting county championship cricket. I think there's more people that really enjoy it than the ECB think they do. Do you reckon there's a bit of that in there? Yeah. yeah. And they just don't see it as a cash cow in the way that the 100 then they imagine the hundred will be it won't <laughs> but okay. i think that they're just always fixated on the grass being greener the wicket being greener perhaps in this case and it's it's a bit it's a bit frustrating when you see the game you love you know kind of you know taken apart bit by bit just to chase this elusive big payout from a from hula hoops for a t-shirt for example <laughs> yeah I, I just think there's so much i think there's so much against the the 18 county system because other countries don't have the 18 county system, they have a lot less, and it seems like the ECB just thinks that that's all that's wrong with English cricket is the fact we have too many counties, and therefore we can't we can't market this competition, the blast that has 18 counties. We can't keep up with this championship that has 18 counties because it's just too many. Is what they think, but actually, 
if they have well they've tried to do smaller counties it just means that large swathes of the country go unrepresented i mean it's i will say the biggest irony is that they keep holding up australia um and the state system i think it's six states i think i've got that right um when they introduced the big bash they actually immediately had more teams than state sides mm-hmm. it actually expanded and they're actually putting like expansion teams in again aren't they or they have I think they're talking about adding more teams. So the Big Bash has gone as gone and added teams to the existing state system, not not got rid of them. And I know it's slightly different, but it's a, it's a really bizarre way to think you're going to grow a sport is by concentrating it in the big cities, where potentially there's a lot of other sports, a lot of other things you can do, possibly, um, if allowed. Um, you know, you've got the big the big football teams are in the big cities. So you've got you'd have a Birmingham franchise in the hundred. Um, well, they're not really going to compete against Aston Villa, Birmingham City Wolves necessarily in terms of support. But if you've got a franchise at say Taunton or just around the country, you've got crowds. The crowds are going to Taunton. Well, maybe it might go to football. They might go and see Plymouth. Might go and see City, whichever team they support. But actually, there's a solid core of supporters that that's their main kind of spectator sport they go and see in cricket, especially the, you know, in the 2020s. Chelmsford, I mean, again, they're probably going to watch teams in London, going to watch West Ham. But is for Chelmsford itself as a place, that is the main you know spectator sport in that local area. And to take it away completely just seems bizarre, really, when you're trying to grow your sport. I agree totally. And apologies to any Yeovil fans who are listening. Um, there is a perfectly good team in the southwest to go and support. Uh, <laughs> listen, it's been great to sort of have a deep dive into uh, obviously the final, obviously Somerset's woes and the county system in general. And we're lucky we haven't had 100 this year. And I'm excited to see it next year just so we can uh, do banter it basically. And if you, I guess if you, then you may maybe giggle there. Imagine if you told someone in Gloucestershire in the mid 90s that hula hoops were going to outprice your your <laughs> first class team you know that i thought you were crazy um before we wrap this up boys do we have a tweet of the week i've got a couple that i've just come through well you know what this is pretty this isn't like week specific this one it's just joffre archer saying who doesn't like cricket in response to the crazy ipl game we've just witnessed um we'll have an ipl episode coming up for sure and uh zach texas uh, off air before we came on saying how are we going to do a podcast on the amount of quality games there have been um today there was a suit two super overs Joffrey Archman hitting sixes for fun and there was the biggest run chase ever the other day so we'll break that down in another episode um but I think that should do it for this one boys um thank you so much uh have a great rest of your birthday Glenn obviously thank you thank you so <laughs> Uh, Tim, our Southern correspondent, thank you so much for coming on and I hope you enjoy listening to this, um, you know, on your commute. And I hope we can have you back on next time Somerset comes second in the competition. Does that sound good? Books Twelve months. This time next year. Can't wait. <laughs> I'm sure you'll find somebody to come second in. We'll have, we'll have an emergency special with you. Uh, <laughs> we'll make a team to finish second. Well, no, just when the Welsh fire comes second. That <laughs> Um, Zach, thank you so much. Uh, stay safe in lockdown, Leeds. We'll see you soon. I will. Thank you very much. Uh, and we'll be back uh, in the coming weeks uh, with a look at the blast, a look at the IPL, and a look at uh, England women as well. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you soon.
You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.